Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Why are cars so dang expensive today? A new vehicle in Canada costs $61,000 on average, while a used vehicle costs $39,000 in the first quarter of this year, according to autotrader.ca. If those numbers sound high, it's because they're up by about 33 and 50% respectively from where they were two years ago. And the price inflation is even higher if you go back just a few more years. We've all heard about general price inflation in the economy, which I think a lot of people associate as something that started during the pandemic and is kind of still ongoing. But I've been wondering what specifically is driving auto price inflation? Because the auto industry is in the midst of a massive transformation. They're closing down some plants and converting or retrofitting them to produce EVs. And that affects supply and demand and is expensive. And our relationship with our vehicles is changing as a result of this technological transformation. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Charles Bernard, lead economist for the Canadian Automobile Dealers Association in Ottawa, a trade and lobbying organization. It turns out there's a lot going on here. Dealers are on the front lines of the EV transition and face what Bernard described as an evolution and what others have called a disruption. Our conversation is edited for clarity and brevity. Charles, thank you so much for joining me on Down to Business today. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. And I wanted to ask about price inflation, because if you look today, a new vehicle costs 61000 and a used costs 39000 on average, according to autotrader.ca. Now, if you go back to March of 2020 on autotrader.ca's details, the median price for a new car is 40000 and a used car is 18000 So those are huge jumps. From your perspective, what exactly is driving prices up so much? Yeah, well, it's a big question. So yeah, I'll start with the new vehicle prices. So first things first, I think some multiple events that haven't really been seen in the past have occurred that created a lot of pressure on the say the ability for manufacturers to create supply to generate more vehicles. So those events the COVID crisis started everything that which led to some major uh, struggles on the supply chain issue. So quickly, single uh, piece of equipment for a vehicle might cross the U.S. and Mexico border more than 50 times before uh, being finally put in the final vehicle. So it's an integrated business model, uh, which when there's issues with the supply chain across the world, from, from parts coming from China, all the way to factories here in Canada or the U.S., that uh, has a tremendous effect on the ability for manufacturers to put the vehicle in the lot. And then once we were getting out of that situation, the war in Ukraine happened, which had a tremendous effect on prices of energy, which increased the costs of uh, freight costs. And I think that's the word we use uh, in English. All those elements bundled together create an environment which we really have never seen before, which is an environment where there's less vehicles and where people still want vehicles. So that created a big gap, which put a lot of pressure on the prices. Okay. Sounds basically like this is almost like a whirlwind result of the pandemic, yeah. various parts of the supply chain being shut down, and then including most recently the shortage of semiconductor chips. 
100%, yeah. All of which are creating scarcity. Yeah. And so I'm just sort of extrapolating a little here, but if we're producing less vehicles, that means dealerships are not selling as many vehicles. And so they have to figure out some way to squeeze more profit out of each vehicle because they still have all these overhead costs. Yeah, so I just want to go back to the semiconductor, the, the, the lack of semiconductors. So vehicles are being more and more electrified, digitalized. So they need more overall electronic parts and pieces, which need more skilled labor to make, require more expertise, more critical materials, and are get for manufacturing. Just the fact that vehicles are becoming more and more expensive to make from a manufacturer standpoint. Uh, at the end of the day, that cost being down the chain all the way to the consumer, which at a moment where financially there was some uncertainty because of the, the, the pandemic and now with the, the looming potential economic and financial crisis, that for sure wasn't needed, right? If at least avoided the increase in car prices, that would have been great, but obviously that, that wasn't the case. Right. And there's just not enough semiconductor chips. And it shows how like a single choke point in the supply chain has basically caused the price of cars to skyrocket. A hundred percent. There, uh, there's a term that's been coined by uh, two uh, political economists in the U.S. that's getting more and more and more used: the idea of, of weaponized interdependence. Right, the fact that the economy is so reliant on certain types of technologies or industries that some countries that have a chokehold or uh, control over that type of industry, semiconductors, clearly uh, one of them. Technologies. There's only a few places in the world, Taiwan being one, uh, where where they're able to to manufacture the amount of semiconductor that is needed for every electronical device in the world, but, but more and more vehicles. So that, yeah, that's the dynamic that it will get worse. I, I think it was part of the situation now with the prices increase, but, but for me in the next 20 years, that'll be part of the discussion. And that's why you see all those investments made in the U.S. and then North America, including Canada, in terms of securing a local ability to, to make those chips. So I just want to circle back to the dealership themselves. So yeah, a lot of consumers were quite frustrated because they were looking at the MSRP that sometimes was marketed in one way and then they'd go to the dealership and it wasn't exactly the number they were expecting. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't say that dealer behavior, it's more basic economics with offer and demand. So as much as I can understand, there was some consumer frustration because of all the, everything got, got more expensive and, and cars as well. The reality is at the end of the day, dealers are apt to compete with other dealerships. And there was a situation where there was very, very few vehicles on the lot. Demand remained at levels that was surprising to a lot of dealerships, uh, including myself. But that soon as inventories are coming back, which is the case right now, that dynamic is being stabilized, right? And just to stop for a second. So basically, the dynamic is that the MSRP is the price that the automaker sets for a car. And then it goes to the dealership. And there are certain fees that they always charge, right? Like they always charge a shipping fee. They always charge like a paint fee. But it's up to the dealer how much they set those fees for. And they just raise these a little bit. So for me, it's hard to comment on what specific dealers are doing. What I just know is that if we look at historical data, let's call it the environment, once again, that, that we're living in is, is really unique. It's never really been seen before. But there was occasions in the past where that behavior was reversed, the ecosystem was entirely different where there's dealers that allowed cars in the lot and demand was way under what the supply was. So it created a balance that shift. It's just that for the moment, the inventories are not at the level that they were before the pandemic. I don't know if they'll be back to that level, but now that we're seeing an increase, we're already seeing it's a slow decrease, but we're seeing the prices of new vehicles going back to a, a certain type of equilibrium 
And that's just correlated with the increase in inventory. So if we look at the, the macro level data, it reflects the clear offer and demand logic that drives that market. Right. And so, I mean, supply and demand, those are pretty basic things. I'm curious to what extent EVs are having an impact too on this situation, because if we just take Canada as an example, Ford Motor Company was the first to announce an EV assembly plant in Oakville outside Toronto. And they said, we're going to shut that plant down, which means there'll be one less plant producing vehicles. I believe that one produced the Ford Edge. So for a year, that plant is going to be shut down. So there's going to be less vehicles again, which was the reason we said that prices had gone up. Plus, there's going to be some costs for new equipment. They have to invest in a new supply chain. There's a learning curve. It all sounds inherently expensive. Something, of course, that dealers, your clients, don't have any control over. But I'm wondering, like, to what extent prices are rising because of the EV transition? Yeah, question. I'm glad you asked it because for me, personally, it's the big item that that I've been working on. There's a clear connection between transition to EVs, the cost of cars, and the overall changing ecosystem between car dealers, manufacturers, and government. So but in terms of dealers, they're fully behind the transition, but they also see some barriers in regarding what government has done to facilitate that transition and make it more consumer enticing. So our dealers are excited at the prospect of that transition. I have dealers in Montreal. They're really excited and they don't see barriers as much as somebody who's in Red Deer or rural Saskatchewan, right? There's some dealers that have a different perspective of the dealer maybe in Toronto that sold a few electric vehicles might not have seen the issues with the cold that some, once again, more rural dealers in the prairies have seen over the winter. When it gets to minus 40, there's some vehicles that had some problems or some difficulties. So we've engaged with government regarding the EV transition is something that needs to be supported on two sides. The supply side, which I think has already been done pretty well. Dealers are investing in their infrastructure to get the vehicles and be able to sell them. So that means the grid, electricity, manufacturers have been investing a lot of money in being able to meet uh, the demand and the mandates. And Canada has invested a lot in just making sure that we have infrastructure to build those vehicles if possible. So that's on the supply side. I'm less worried about the supply side. I'm more worried about the, the demand side. I know consumers want those vehicles, but the infrastructure to charge them is just lacking across the country. And the provinces that are have been doing better in terms of accessing those EVs are in the provinces where the incentives have been more important. So there's a clear correlation between government involvement on supply and demand side and EV transition or adoption. And from a federal level, we, we think there's an issue with that. So that was just the context of where we're going in terms of the dealer. What the impact on prices is, let me just say this, there's very few companies that are making money right now on electric vehicles. For the moment, I'm not saying they won't do it in 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, but the, the R&D investments that have been made are extremely important. The, the fixed capital changes that were required were extremely important as well, right? The, the factories that are changing. So, of course, that has an effect on prices. Knowing that on one side, prices are going up because of uncontrollable effects, let's just say the cost of research and development, the costs that are, that are really more related to the manufacturer, well, that's one side of it. But on the other hand, there's government that came up and said, well, instead of providing a solution that is agnostic to technology in terms of environmental targets, right? So instead of saying the target that we want is this, let's find all the solutions to do it. They gave one solution is automakers need to meet certain EV criteria from 2026 all the way through 2035. 
Um, wait, just to pause there. They didn't say EVs, I thought. I thought they said zero emission vehicles. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's yeah, you're right about that, Zeb. Right. I think I take what you're saying to be these are expensive to build, at least now. They will eventually make more money. On your earlier point about some people in Red Deer, like colder places, not really being totally on board about EVs yet. My sense is that that's going to change. Oh, yeah. 100%. So presumably people will start paying more for these because they'll perform better. And to come back to, to the dealers. Everybody knows that the EV or Zeb market, that's where we're going. So dealers, they know that's where uh, their bread and butter will have to be eventually. So they're preparing. The problem is, like once again, it comes back to the prices. Dealers have to deal with being on the manufacturing side in terms of what how it affects prices, but also in terms of what the government is doing. And on the one end, like I said, the external costs of for manufacturers of just switching their old there, just switching their old type of industry towards EVs or Zeb costs a lot, and then which reflects on prices. But on the other hand, there's some manufacturing companies that are not at the same level in terms of being able to produce those vehicles that will be put in a situation because of the mandate. Where, for example, 2026, it has to be 20%. But let's say you make 100 cars and you're a company that, for now, doesn't have the capacity to make 20 electric vehicles because you need to, you need to meet that 20% threshold. They might just reduce their overall inventory that's being shipped to Canada to, let's say, 60 vehicles. That way, the 20 electric vehicles that were being made meet that threshold. But if you reduce the inventory from 160 that by 40%, whatever the model is for one company, then you're increasing the prices that consumers are facing by a big margin. So when we talk to government, like what you will be doing is putting a lot of distortionist pressure on supply that at the end of the day will have tremendous effects on consumers and might just reshape the old uh, market dynamic because if people just simply can't afford vehicles because of a lack of alignment between what's being done by the manufacturers and the government, not only can I create pressure, but the other layer of pressure is not only this alignment between manufacturers and Canadian government, but this alignment between Canadian government and U.S. government. It's such an integrated supply chain that we've been saying to the government hours after hours, make sure that our policies align with the U.S. one, and now the U.S. Are, are getting a much more soft, flexible position on their mandate targets that they had a year ago. And we're asking government to follow that because if they don't, the result will always be the consumer being affected by it. And a consumer that's unhappy with all the market is going will affect the dealer business as a whole for sure. So that's where the, the EV transition can affect prices. It's an increasing cost for manufacturing, but it's also policies that are being made that are not necessarily adequate for what we want to accomplish long-term. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. One thing related to EVs that directly bears on dealerships is that if you look at some of the new automakers, say like Tesla, it doesn't have dealerships. They're using a different distribution method. And so it costs money to run a dealership. You've got cars on the lot. Those need to be moved, washed what you need people to do. Are dealerships facing pressure on their model as a result of EVs and the fact that new automakers are sort of looking for new distribution systems? So yeah, we, we call it like an evolution of business models. But of course, you see a few companies coming out of Woodworks or the ones that are really established like Tesla, where the, they have a, a business model that is direct to consumer. 
there's some, I wouldn't say many, but there's some manufacturing companies that are looking at a, a hybrid model, which they call agency model, right? Where basically the dealership is really now and then just a, a spot where you can get and service your vehicle, but the inventory management uh, and the allocation will be done by the manufacturer. And I want to just pause for a second there and ask you about that, right? The way it works now is if you're a dealership, you choose how many cars based on how much capital you have to put on your lot? Not necessarily. You don't choose, right? There's an allocation that's being done. So that's already being done by the manufacturer. But the reality is, is that there's companies, like I know that some of the German companies, as, as soon as the car is out of the, let's say, the German factory and it's on the way to one of the Canadian companies, the dealer is already paying interest on that vehicle, right? So all the pressure of having inventories on the dealer. So that's why it creates a different environment where if the agency model try to predict, okay, I think Canada needs 10. We won't send them right away as soon as we have a we have an order or and, and the model might change from manufacturer to manufacturer, but the, the the main idea is this as soon as the order comes in, it's being shipped to the dealership and then the dealership can can do the sale. I won't even go into all the positive of having a dealer. I, th- I think it's, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say my gospel, but I think, especially in rural parts of, of Canada, the, the dealership model makes extreme sense. But I think what happened is as lots of companies have used the transition to EVs as a moment in time to just rethink the model, right? One of the reasons why is because very few companies are making money on, at the moment on these V, right? So companies are not necessarily seeing the profits they'd like to have and they have shareholders, they have board members that are looking at these numbers like, hey, Tesla's making a lot of money. They don't use dealers. Why aren't we in a similar position, right? But just to pause on that, the automakers are making money, right? Like if you look at 2022, they're all profitable. Yeah, yeah, they are. Like again, now the inventories are better. Maybe the supply chain has has unclogged and made it easier on the cost. But from a financial perspective, there was a question from manufacturing companies of why is our share as big as Tesla? But that's kind of one of the discussions that kind of showed up. Not a lot of manufacturers thought that way, but that kind of reframed the perspective of where they're going. Now they negotiated with a lot of dealership groups and, and a lot of them backed down because they understood it isn't necessarily the best idea. The reason why is because once again, it's easy to have such an approach as a manufacturer when you're in the environment where we are right now. Whereas inventories are low and demand is still high. It's easier to have that perspective of like, we know cars are being sold, so let's rethink our models. It's an easy position to be in right now. As soon as that will change, and it is changing, it will be more difficult to legitimize an agency model because the cars will be on the lot of the manufacturer. They won't be on the dealers. And when the cars on the dealer lot, every day that car is losing money, shareholders of the companies will notice eventually. Right. This is the automakers now we're focused on for a second. They're sort of reviewing their portfolio, looking at the fleet of cars they produce and saying this one, not that one. One of the things that people say out there is that in the past 10 years, we have all these small economy cars, but it costs about the same amount of money to make one of those as it does a bigger car, say like the biggest SUV. But the biggest SUV sells for so much more. So the profit is so much more. So gradually, you're going to see automakers phase out these really small economy cars, weight their production towards these bigger, more profitable vehicles. Yeah. Once again, fair assessment. And, and, and those are all arguments I always use. So that's also intertwined with the lack of microchips. So let's say you in a normal day, you make uh, 50 cars. But because of our cars, the resource of semiconductors was, well, we'll make sure that we use the semiconductors in the vehicles where the margins are high, like you've just said. 
So if you look at last year's sales numbers, the compact models, the sales numbers in general, which are directly related with the inventories, went down while trucks and, and SUVs numbers were a bit more positive. And it's not like I don't want to be there and saying that that's manufacturers trying to make bad of the consumers. That's just their business decision of like there's a specific amount, a limited amount of semiconductors they need to allocate. And they allocate it to the vehicles, which are not only in demand, but bring more value to the company. So, yeah, that was clearly a dynamic. And to be fair, it's once again a dynamic that makes sense when you know that if you're putting out a car tomorrow, it's getting bought. As soon as that will change, and I think people expected it to change maybe earlier in January, March, February, when it was some people thought that the more negative impacts of the interest rates would be observable, we'll, we'll still have to wait a few more months to see that. I think right now there's still a pent-up demand from the consumer, so they're willing to buy cars, and they don't know exactly how the economy is going anyway, so like it might not get better in six months, let's buy it anyway. I think there's a lot of that now, which is good for dealers, of course, and economists. For me, it's, it's hard to predict where we're going. But I think as that dynamic changes where it's not a gimme that if you pull out a, a vehicle right now and you, you produce it, that will be sold. Uh, I'll, I'll call it a leverage dynamic will change. Manufacturers will have to go back to the wrong board and like, okay, we had it easy for the last four years. And the, the reality is that they did which was positive for the dealers as well in terms of just being able to sell the vehicles. It was a bit more straightforward, let's just call it this way. But that scenario will change. And it I don't want to say too much, but I've talked to some manufacturers. They're like, yeah, we're comfortable in this environment. But as, as soon as there's a company say, hey, you don't want to produce more cars because of your financial incentives of what your board members are telling you, there's some companies that might not be doing as good that might just say, well, we'll put the metal on the lot. I see. If there's a demand for it, then it opens up opportunities for automakers that are willing to build those cars. A hundred percent. And the supply and demand context of the last, let's call it three years, has made it really easy for manufacturers to have that, that uh, I don't know which word I'd use, but it's a confident position. Right. I think as soon as that environment changes, that position will have to be reassessed. That's interesting. So let's go back to dealers for a second yeah. and the disruption to dealers. One of the things you think about when you say like, well, if Tesla doesn't have dealers and these companies don't have dealers, then where do you go to get your car serviced? And the answer is it's one of the reasons why you buy an EV is that you don't really need to service it as much. And so as the transition progresses, you can see dealerships losing one's revenue stream there from the servicing they do on vehicles. The other issue you mentioned was sort of inventory, right? Like that's sort of how they're adjusting this is that instead of keeping as much inventory on the lot, they're going to be keeping less and less. Is that right? Well, again, it depends on what the, the manufacturer-dealer model is. Right now, the dealership, if, if, if a company has 20 cars they want to sell, the dealership can't really say no, right? They'll find a way to sell it. But let's put it this way. I don't think we'll ever go back to the period of, uh, when I was younger where, where you see those lots would be filled and there'd be any way, like there'd be people on the street trying to make you go in the, into the lot because they had deals with all that, right? I think that, that era is gone. I think dealers have understood that manufacturing levels, inventory levels will never go back to what it was before just because it's more expensive to make the vehicles, but also because the scarcity of what is required to create those vehicles is just more significant than it was for internal combustion engine vehicles. So I think that era is gone and dealers have now understood that, hey, I'll have to invest so much money in, in making sure that my lot is made, can accommodate uh, electric vehicles, but I'll spend my money there. And instead of building those huge lots that we've seen in the past, they might shrink it down a little bit. 
But but dealers still want a position where they, as soon as they have a vehicle, they sell it good financially. They still want vehicles to be sold. So what they want to do is create an environment for them, their dealership, to be to make sure that if a company is limited in the allocation, right? So let's say if a company is not able to fill all the regions in in Canada, well, they'll select some dealers and provinces and dealers that are most equipped to to get those vehicles. They'll get it. So there's a there's a lot of investments that are being made. But the first one is more that that's exactly one of the pressure points that I think will be problematic is, for example, Toyota, plug-in hybrids, or uh, or there's a few companies that the only places where you can find that electric model, for example, in a dealership is provinces with significant incentives. So because they know that people will buy them because they have the government-generated incentives that will push somebody over the line. Well, in 20 years, will people need to be pushed over the line? I don't think so. I think technology is so great that people will want to do it anyway. And I think that's already the case in BC. 16% of, of cars being sold are EVs in BC, right? But that didn't happen because they love trees more than you do or I do. It. There's a bit more incentive on that end. So I think dealers have been pretty vocal through our work in Ottawa and making them understand that we're, they're doing their part. There's a dealer in Quebec that every year invests in putting chargers by with his own money, chargers in his community, at the church, at the grocery, at the, the part where children play, just to make sure that parents and families feel like there's an infrastructure needed to get a vehicle and and, and, and then re- and thus remove all the, the, the still existing worries about that model. So dealers are, are prepared for it, but we need... And I say we because that's something we fight on. Is we need not only supply support because technology will drive that supply support, and also the investments that have been done in manufacturing, which is good, lots of jobs. But we need something on the other end. We need incentives in every provinces. We need also more infrastructure and charging infrastructure. So that, that transition, dealers are excited about it. They spend a lot of money, but you just feel sometimes that they're the only one spending the money. That's something I want to say. The second part about the revenue, of course, it's it's a discussion. Dealers, for example, in BC that have more EVs are positively surprised about how the demand for services has changed. Electric cars or ZEVs are way heavier than a normal vehicle, right? So maybe the revenues for certain specific parts of new vehicles have gone down. There's been way more servicing in terms of tires, right? Maybe it's still an overall total decrease. But Dealers are starting to say, okay, there's leverage there. There's also leverage where the knowledge required to fix those vehicles is pretty unique. So dealers, because they have the name of the brand, they have an easier time sometimes to find the right people that are able to service those electric vehicles. Independent garages, right? They have the same information as dealers do, but the training sometimes in in, in those big uh, dealerships is is more adequate. So that's something where they'll be able to leverage that to the consumers, like, A, because of how heavily dependent those vehicles are on new software, on data sharing abilities and all that. There's a lot of dealers that have found, oh, that's an interesting niche where we can invest. They've also been for the last 20 to 24 months almost impossible to find workers. There's a there's a huge labor shortage across all industries. One thing that's surprising, there's a lot of people that are interested in being a mechanic, but for EVs or Zs, because it's a totally different animal than it was. It's also further from a stigma that we're always trying to fight of the you know the grease monkey. But there's a there's a there's a momentum towards a new chapter of business opportunities with EVs that. 10 years ago, we couldn't see, but now dealers are seeing and are excited about it. Wow, okay. 
alongside the switch to EVs, we're also talking about self-driving cars. And that's started a whole discussion about not even owning your own car. You know, maybe you pay a monthly fee and you have an app on your phone. And when you want to drive somewhere, you press the button and the nearest car to you comes. Yeah. There's a whole transformation going on of this industry. Do you see it as a disruption taking place? I, I see it as an evolution. And I think if there's in the car industry, let's say there's people that are well adapted to take that evolution and, and make it a business model. I think dealers are just because of the investments that already have been made. But 10 years ago, I think you could have talked to a, a lot of old school dealers and it would have, let's say, they would have looked at EV more as a disruption, right? And there's still a few dealers that do it, but as a, like 95% of dealers are all the way up to, up to the EV transition, I think what helped getting people, meaning the dealers on board with the EV transition is the technology. I think they've, they've seen the technology now enough that they believe in it. And if they believe in something, they can sell it. And that took less time than anticipated on my end because companies were quicker to follow the Tesla lead in that sense. And I tried the F-150 uh, Lightning, the electric one, right? And I said, if there's more like, uh, let's say, rural farming people that have a bit more like not interested in the EV transition, they put their hands on that vehicle, right? They're hooked. And that goes for all the SUVs that are not electric or trucks that are not electric and the, the next ones that are coming. I think technology has made them understand, okay, there's a way we can sell that. Now we need everybody on board. So that's for the EV, for the self-driving cars. I think that that's, that's a further discussion because I think it will raise more ethical questions that will slow down the process, right? I think EV in terms of ethics, let's let's say it's a good political sell, right? We're we're trying to reduce uh, emissions. So I think there wasn't really a big of a political pushback. Everybody in government, even conservatives, everybody is pretty much aligned with that's where we're going. Now, how can we make it easier? I think self-driving cars will be a lot, a lot of pushbacks from not necessarily from dealers, but from manufacturers and, and for sure consumers. So for me, like we haven't really looked at it. And once again, like I don't know, maybe dealers will find a way to have a service where they rent self-driving cars. I don't know. They'll find a way to make, to make a business out of it. So if technology is there, I think it's a just natural thing for dealers to follow it. Charles, thank you so much for coming on Down to Business to discuss all these topics with me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was great. Thank you. That was Charles Bernard, lead economist for the Canadian Automobile Dealers Association in Ottawa. After we stopped recording, we both remembered that we never circled back to used cars and why they've gotten so expensive. Turns out that's also a supply and demand issue because as new car inventory shrunk, demand for cars did not, and many buyers turned to used cars, the price basically went up. It is not expected to change until the inventory of new cars rises. And that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. This episode of Down to Business was produced by Bryce Hall, who composed and performed original music and designed the logo. Pam Heaven, Noella Ovid, and Victoria Wells provided editing and web support. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll return with more episodes. But in the meantime, you can find all your news at financialpost.com.